open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read the whole chapter together. So let's just start by reading. Jacob went on his way, and the angel, the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he named the camp, he named that place Mahanem. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mother's with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Then he handed over to his servants every drove by itself and said to the servants, Pass on ahead of me and put space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do these belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob, and they are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third, and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of him, ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. 
perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? Jacob said, And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob said, Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God's face. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed, Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Now, this story is magnificent. It's also very, very funny. I mean that just to point some things out. He first thinks he can bribe his older brother. And so he goes and he tells his servant to go tell him that Esau's coming because he's kind of checking in. And the servant comes back and goes, Esau is so excited to see you that he's bringing 400 men with him. And Jacob knows, oh no, that's an army, I'm going to die. But no one else seems to think that. No one else is panicked. No one else says anything. That's the first funny thing. Second funny thing. What's with the angels? We don't know anything about that conversation. He's walking, and it says, angels of God met him. That's it. And Jacob ends the conversation by going, I'm going to call this place two camps. Why? Why two camps? That's absurd. Like, were there two angels? Both in two tents? I don't... Why would Jacob think to say this? It's a goofy thing to name a place where you meet the angels of God. I mean, you'd think you'd meet, you'd name it something like Angelic Encounter, or God's House, which he did earlier, or uh, really, really just anything, but two camps? This is a little weird. And then, as you go on, he comes to the Jabbok River. He cross, he sends his family across the Jabbok River. His name is Jacob. He 
sends his kids across the Jabbok River, and then immediately after doing that, he yibaks, wrestles with somebody. So there's this rhythm in the Hebrew, Jacob, Jabbok, Jacob, right? It's this, it's this wrestling, emphasis on striving here, and wrestling, just kind of a funny rhythm, almost like you want your kids to remember it, so you make it a rhyme like Dr. Seuss. It's also clunky in Hebrew. It's a clunky rhyme. It's a clunky rhyme on purpose. Because what happens? Jacob goes to sleep and all of a sudden, or he, he's not, he doesn't go to sleep, he may not go to sleep. He, he's left alone to go to sleep and all of a sudden he's wrestling with somebody. Did you notice how quickly that happens? There's no, he heard in the bushes a man. It's just, and he wrestled with some guy all night long. Like, he's left by himself and then he starts fighting with somebody. There's no, Pray, like, this is an awful mystery. This is an awful story where they left out some pretty key details. Where'd this guy come from? How did he show up? What happened? Did he challenge Jacob? Did he hit him with an acorn first to get his attention? Like, how did this happen? It's just, Jacob was left alone. Oh yeah, and he wrestled with the guy all night. And then it seems to move to that as if we have all the prep work for that story. We have none of it. Yay! So, that having been said, let's look at this text together. Jacob here is prepared to meet Esau. God prepares Jacob to meet Esau here. He's dealt with Laban, and he's run away from Laban. He's dealt with a deceiver. He has had his confrontation with Laban. He's finally gotten a spine where he's able to say direct things to Laban. So he's grown up a little bit, and he's coming back with his wealth, immense wealth, richer than anybody else. He is an incredibly wealthy man. He's got servants. He has a, a veritable city with him. And he is coming back to a land where he knows that there's a man who has promised to murder him. So he sends a servant ahead. And he is prepared by God. Look at this. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Two Camps. Now, Jacob thinks God's camp is here. So I'm going to set my camp here too. And we'll have two camps. Jacob's about to learn that God doesn't share. Jacob's about to learn that God doesn't share. This is God's house. This is where he lives. This is his. Jacob calls the place two camps. And he's thinking there's obvious play on words, right? He's got two camps here. There's the camp of Esau and the camp of Jacob. There's the two camps he divides his own camp into. There's God's camp and Jacob's camp. And there's God's camp and man's camp in general. There's the camp where his Kids and his wife are set across the Jabbok, and then there's Jacob's camp where he's all by himself. One of the things God wants to teach the, the reader in this story is that there's not two sides. There's one side that's God's side. 
Same thing happens elsewhere in Scripture. When Joshua meets the commander of the army of the Lord and says, Whose side are you on? And he laughs and says, I am the side. I'm God. This is not a side. This isn't a side. I'm God. God's about to look at Jacob and go, There's not two camps. There's just me. So Jacob is prepared to meet with Esau, and he ends up being prepared to meet with Esau by meeting with God. So Jacob meets these angels, and we're not told what they say. We know that there's these two camp, this two-camp uh, poetry going back and forth. And then verse 3, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now bear in mind, he is not in the place where Isaac was. He has gone further out. He has become a nation unto himself. Esau is also a wealthy man with an army. That's what it means when it says 400 men are with him. This is 400 men who can fight. And you have to assume that means that each of these 400 men probably has family back in Edom. And they've come out to meet Jacob. So Esau, uh, he sends it to Esau. And he says, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban. I have stayed with him till now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So what Jacob does is he sends the guy ahead and he says, Esau, I don't need any of your stuff. I know I took your birthright. I know I took your uh, your firstborn, right? I know I took all those things. I know I stole those from you. Guess what? I don't need them. I was made rich by Laban, by taking from Laban. I don't need to take from you anymore. I went and stole from somebody else. Don't worry about it. I got this. I'm rich now. I don't need your stuff. He's sending ahead to Esau saying, you can keep it all. You can keep everything. I don't... I don't need it. Esau, so excited to hear from his younger brother, that he sends 400 men with him to go meet him. So the servant comes back, and you can imagine how that conversation went. Tell Jacob I'm going to come meet him with 400 men. And the servant's like, oh, that's so great, and comes back to see Jacob and goes, Jacob, great news. Esau is so excited to see you that he's bringing 400 men with him. Jacob internally panics. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a meeting where you had to go into and you knew that it was an ambush. You knew you were going to die. You're going to lose. I've had a couple of them in my life. They're awful. Yay. This is what this is. Jacob's about to go into a meeting where he is going to be destroyed. So he panics. He doesn't know what he's going to do, but he's crafty and he's clever. And bear in mind, he has relied on his own strength in every story. Jacob has relied on his own power, his own cunning, and his own wisdom in every story. So much so that even when God obviously is the one taking care of him, Jacob does some things that show that he is still trying to do it himself. 
That's what the sticks are about, by the way. Scarring those sticks. And the pagan practices he does. Still trying to do it himself. So, it says, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, rightly so, he should be. So he divides the people who are with him, and he puts one camp over here, and he puts one camp over here, and he says, if Esau attacks that one, I'll get away with this one, and I'll still be wealthy. If Esau attacks this one, I'll get away with that one, and I'll still be wealthy. I'll stay in the middle, there's two camps. i got to figure out some way to be able to see Esau in front of me first. So Jacob's plan is this. I've got a camp here. I've got a camp here. I'm going to send them over there. If Esau goes to attack one and take it, I'll go to the other one. I'm going to put my family back here across the river so that he doesn't even know they're there. And then I'm going to stay in the middle. And then I'm going to send these gifts out in front so that I can see him coming. Because surely if he starts slaughtering the gifts I send, and he starts taking them down, I can grab a camp and run. This is crafty Jacob. This is clever Jacob. It's not a bad plan. Let's be honest. This is not a bad plan. This is a crafty, very creative. I've got two camps. He can't, you know, that one's far enough away from this one to where if he goes to that one, I can get away with this one. But he's got to take his whole force to one side. So I'm going to send droves in front of me, and they're going to, they'll be the buffer. This is his obvious plan. Jacob trying to figure it out himself. Now, sandwiched in the middle of his plan is the longest prayer recorded in the book of Genesis. This is the longest patriarchal prayer in the book of Genesis. Let's read it together. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, let's pause there. This is still not Jacob's God. I want you to notice that. It's not my God. It's God of my father, God of my father, O Lord who spoke to me. He still doesn't quite get it. God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant or with the staff, for with the staff I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers, with the children. And you said, I surely, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So, he stands before God in the midst of his planning, in his droves of droves, and his two camps, and his kids hiding. He's in the midst of all of that. He stands before God and he goes, Save me. And for the first time in Jacob's life, he recognizes his own condition. I am not worthy of the stuff that you have done. For the first time, he recognizes that. But look at the basis for his plea to God. In our desperation and in our weakness, 
This is how you plea to the Lord. This is the right plea. Look at what he says. He says, O God of my father, God of Isaac, the Lord who said to me. And then he repeats to God the command that God gave them. Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. He says, God, this is what you said. This is what you said. He repeats to God the words of God. And he lays out God's word before him and says, you said this. So in the basis of his plea for God to act is this clinging to the word of God. Clinging to God's decree and declaration. Grabbing hold of it and not letting go. The ankle grabber who has spent his whole life trying to grab at the things of the world now gets it. I have to grab onto what you have told me. I have to grab onto what you have said. Oh, Christian, you are begging the Lord for something. Use his word. Speak his word. Moses does the same thing later. When he is standing before God and God says, I'm going to wipe out Israel. He goes, no, 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 no. You said that these are your people. And you brought them out. And they're yours, and you made your name great through them, and you did this. This is your word. And God responds by forgiving. Like manner, when we cry to the Lord, use the word of God. It benefits you. God knows his word. Let's not, let's not miss that. God knows what he said. But when you call to him and say, Lord, you said this, I am trusting in that. Something happens. God proves himself over and over that way. And he says, Jacob then answers honestly. So first he cries out, repeating the words of God. Then he answers honestly, I'm not worthy. For I didn't come with anything. And you gave me everything. Now I'm two camps. I'm so big that there's two. Then he says here, please deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau. And again, in honesty, look at what he says. Honestly, he looks at him and he says, I am afraid. I'm afraid, God. I'm afraid he's going to kill me. And then he concludes by saying, I will surely, you said, I will surely do you good. Lord, this was your promise. So look at the prayer. This is the right way to pray. Word of God. Word of God. Honest plea. Honest response. Self-recognition. And Word of God. So I don't know how much time you spend in prayer, but I, I have learned this, this method of praying that has been very, very helpful to me. Lay the scripture out. Read a passage. Pray what the passage says. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to reveal things. Pray about those things. And if you get nothing, keep reading and pray. Until you get something. Wrestle with it. That's what Jacob is doing in this prayer. Then we have the story Jacob sends drove upon drove. And like I said, this is a clever, creative way 
to get freedom from Esau. So he sends these things and he says, perhaps I will see Esau's face and he will accept me. I may pee him. Look at there in verse 20, I may, that I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me and afterwards I will see his face and he will accept me. Now Jacob has a problem. The problem is Jacob's horizontal relationships are utterly fractured. They're completely broken. He has no one to call for help. He is by himself. And the reason his horizontal relationships are fractured is because he has yet to fix his vertical relationship. He has yet to fix his relationship with God. He has yet to recognize that God is his God. That God is the one who has been with him, and that God is the one who he must follow. His own craftiness is not going to work. He still thinks he's got his own camps. He's in for a shock. So, like we said, Jacob arises that same night, verse 22, and his two wives, female servants, and his eleven children, and he crosses the ford of the Jabbok, uh, leaving them there. So, Jacob goes across the Jabbok, and then, in verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man Jabbok's him, wrestles with him. Now, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, there are multiple ways to read this. Some commentators say that he is... Uh, he is asleep, and this is a dream with physical ramifications. Some commentators say that uh, the limp is something he develops uh, during this stressful time. Some commentators say that there's a wrestling here and that this is uh, some metaphor for something going on in Jacob. I, I want to be clear. Jacob wrestles with somebody, and I think this is physical, real. I think he's wrestling with Jesus. Um, Jesus shows up and starts to wrestle with him. Now, I can't prove that from the Hebrew text. I don't have some magic trick pocket, you know, back pocket thing that I'm going to pull out and go, see, it's Jesus. Except to say that this is Jacob's moment of salvation. And Jesus wrestles with him to bring it to him. So, I think Jacob comes across the river, back across the ford. He has got his family back here, his camps are over there and over there, he's alone in the middle, he sent drove upon drove, Esau clearly not going to attack tonight, maybe Jacob starts to lay down and all of a sudden is found and finds himself wrestling with somebody. If I'm Jacob, my first thought is, oh no, Esau found me and he wants to do it himself, by hand. And the internal panic starts to come, and they start wrestling with each other and fighting to survive. And Jacob is fighting for his very survival, terrified that he is going to die at the hands of Esau. And he wrestles, and as he's wrestling, he's like, this guy's not Esau. Esau doesn't wrestle this way. This guy's not Esau. And so he grabs him, and he won't let go, and grabs hold. And for the first time in Jacob's life, his name matters. For the positive. Ankle grabber. And he won't let go. His name matters for the first time in his life. 
and he's left alone and he wrestles with this man. And Jacob wins. Sort. The man wrestled with him till the breaking of dawn, and when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, I used to do some sparring with some buddies of mine, and we used to practice uh, with each other, and we would. there was some judo involved and some, some wrestling involved, and I have to tell you that you don't win if somebody can knock your hip out of joint by touching it. Jacob did not win the physical altercation. That is not what happened. Jacob prevailed because he wouldn't let go. There's a message here for us. You don't win against God. But you can prevail with Him. You don't win against God, but you can prevail with Him. Jacob struggles with this man in the dark and holds tight and won't let go, much like he held tight to the Word of God and the promise of God in that prayer. He holds tight and won't let go, and God, tired of wrestling, I don't know, it's daytime, Jesus wants to go. He's got more stuff planned for Jacob to do, and time's come. Jesus reaches over and touches his hip socket, and his leg goes out of joint. Because Jacob is so stubborn and won't let him go. And I think I've told you in the past, just a side note, that this is the way Jesus actually seems to like us. Not letting go. The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, right, he's referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved, he lays his head on Jesus' chest, He's always standing next to Jesus. Jesus goes for a walk with Peter to have a private conversation. And where is John? Three feet behind him, just walking behind him. Hey, hey, hey. Always, always present, always there. He's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. You, You ought to recognize that's not because Jesus gives him special attention all the time. It's because the boy won't leave him alone. Jesus, I imagine when they were getting in the boat to cross the lake to go to Capernaum, and Jesus says, hey guys, I need some space, I'm going to go pray. I imagine John was like, cool, hey, we're going to go pray. And Jesus was like, get in the boat, leave me alone. This is, this is what God likes from us, that we grab hold of him with all our awkwardness and all our eccentricities, and all our weaknesses and frailties, and we don't let go. And when you're tired and you're sleepy, you don't let go. And when you're exhausted and the adversary tells you you're not worth anything, you don't let go of the Word of God. And when you're desperate for God to move, you don't let go. You hold on until He speaks to you. When you're studying the Word and you seem to get nothing, you don't let go. You press and you press and you press. And when you're frustrated with the people around you who are supposed Christian brothers and sisters, you don't let go of the community, the Word of God, the effort of the Gospel in the lives of people around you. When you're frustrated with your neighbors who won't respond, with your family members who have rejected the cross, you don't let go. You persist 
Paul says it well when he says in Galatians, Do not grow weary of doing good, for in due heart and in due time you will reap a harvest. Do not grow weary in doing good. Don't let go of Christ. No matter what is going on around you. Don't let go. So the man says, let go for the day is broken. Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I love that. His hip is broken and he still won't let go. Finally living up to the proper use of his name. Ankle grabber. I won't let go. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to grab hold. By the way, if you ever want to know what this is like, just go wrestle with a five-year-old. Saying. Verse 28. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. So God then turns and asks him his name. What's your name? This is Jacob. Now, I want you to understand in the ancient Near Eastern culture, asking somebody their name and giving them giving you their name was an act of authority. I know your name, so I know who you are. It's an act of authority. It's saying, I know your name, so I can call you by your name, and you are going to be that name. I have authority over you. So God says, what's your name? And Jacob goes, my name's Jacob. And he says, no longer is your name Jacob. You're going to be Israel, for you have wrestled with God and with man and have prevailed. Now, he names him Israel. The name Israel means, uh, it can be read two ways. One, one who wrestles with God is the way that we tend to read it, because that's how God explains it later on to Jacob. You're one that wrestles with God. But the actual name is God wrestles, or God strives. Jacob, who's been Jacob, who has wrestled, Yaqib, is now striving with God. But he's not striving with God because he is somehow mighty. He's striving with God because God strives. Because God strives. You have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Therefore, your name is God strives. God wrestles. Jacob gets the name. God wrestles here. And it doesn't become his name completely until chapter 35. He doesn't fully come into the realization of it until chapter 35. But God gives him this new name. And then in verse 29, Jacob asks him, please tell me your name. And God says no. I mean, that's basically what he says. Why are you asking my name? No, that's a very polite way to say no. No, I'm not telling you my name. You see, Jacob does not have authority over God. God is not a genie that Jacob now gets to access whenever he wants. God is not at Jacob's beck and call. Nor is God at our beck and call. He's not tame. He does what he wants. So God meets with Jacob and names him Israel and exchange names. God does not give his name, but then blesses Jacob. 
So Jacob called the place the face of God. You see, Jacob was afraid to run into the face of Esau. He was consumed with the face of two camps. He was worried about the face of his children. He was looking at the face of Esau, staring down the barrel of a gun. And what he needed to see was the face of God. Often, what we need to see as believers in Christ is the face of God. And the problem in our culture is often that we let go too soon. Christianity is hard work. It's not intended to be easy. It's intended to be worth it. And it is. Christianity following Christ is not an easy call. Indeed, if you follow Christ, be prepared to walk with a limp. You are going to have things put out of joint. You are going to have difficulties. But in these difficulties, you will find the salvation of Jesus Christ reign in your heart and in your life. Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. This self-reliant, strong man who has been able to do everything on his own his entire life now walks with a limp and a cane. But now... He's no longer a liar and a deceiver. He is now one who walks in the power of a God who strives with him and for him. Oh, I want to be that way. You see, it's not in your personal strength or your own power that you can save yourself or overcome sin. It is in the power of Christ and Christ alone. His death and resurrection has freed you from sin and death, and given you life, and in the power of the Holy Spirit working within you, you can overcome sin. But it's not by your strength. It's not by your strength. Indeed, you must have a limp. You must have a bit of a limp. And be trusting in Christ's strength and Christ's strength alone. 